welcome to Elixir Talk, your favorite podcast discussing news and events from around the Elixir community. My name is Desmond Bowie, and I am joined by my co-host, Chris Bell. Hey, Desmond. What an intro. Yeah, I always try to make it fresh, and sometimes I got nothing, so I figured I'd just keep it simple. What the audience doesn't know is the number of times you just tried to do that intro, right? But It's uh, 10 or 11 times, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it takes us longer to do the intro than the actual <laughs> recording. Well, I am sat in a staircase, so I'm going to try and speak not too much today um, for the fear of being overly echoey. Is there a chance that someone's going to descend the staircase and walk into you? Honestly, that's a very real possibility, and I'm probably breaking all of the New York City fire codes right now. The nice thing is that I can see the staircase behind you, so I will know moments before you do if someone <laughs> walks into you. Please give me a heads up. <laughs> These are very good noise-canceling headphones, so I might not be able to hear it. <laughs> now they're working against you, huh? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm. How's life in LA? Uh, it's going pretty well. Um, weather has started to turn and get warmer here, and it's, uh, I don't know, people think it's sunny and warm here all the time, and it's not, that's not entirely true. I thought 72 but... and sunny for that very reason. wasn't. Isn't that like a well, famous out... LA thing? Yeah, it turns out that's a uh, marketing ploy. I mean, it's like that a lot of the time, but it's statistically, you know, some days are not 72 and sunny. Yeah, there we uh, go. But it's warming up again. It's feeling nice. I don't know. LA is so wonderful. I really like it here. Nice. So, yeah. How's, uh, how's the Elixir? How is the Elixir? I'm trying to think what I've been doing with Elixir recently. Um, a couple dialyzer things. We upgraded to a, uh, OTP 22 is the latest. 21 22 21 21 i didn't notice that much but i don't want to discount the work that people have done but um the elixir's been all right uh just working on some application code nothing mm-hmm. super fresh how's your elixir uh pretty good actually i actually did some recently been working on uh-huh. some more side projects and things so uh using a lot of phoenix and building some web apis and things like that so been pretty fun and we're just preparing for MPEX NYC right now as well. So that's we're very much deep in the midst of, we just did all of our talk selections yesterday. So uh, I guess by the time this podcast comes out, you'll be able to see that on the website. Pretty cool. And what day is MPEX NYC? May 18th. And we have trainings on May the 17th. Um, we actually just announced this Haskell training, which is going to be kind of fun. So first time we've ever done something a little bit outside of the Elixir ecosystem at, uh, MPEX. Um, and then we also have Frank and Justin doing a, a great nerves training as well. Uh, I think probably a very similar or the same training, uh, that they did at MPEX LA. Yeah, that was a, a pretty good training. We got a lot of positive feedback from it. Yeah, so super excited to have them in town and doing that as well. So uh, tickets to the training and to the conference are now available on the website. So you can go to mpex.co and check those out. And uh, yeah, I hope to see a lot of familiar faces and hopefully a lot of new faces as well over there. For sure. I mean, I'll be there. Uh, I'm looking forward to it as always. So are you actually I mean, coming? Of course I'm coming. <laughs> okay, that's cool. Okay. Um, we've got to repair the neon sign before you come. <laughs> Yes, you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> the less said about that, but the better, I guess. Uh, well, we'll just leave it at that then and hope to see all of our <laughs> listeners at uh, Impex yeah. NYC this May. Yeah. And I think I actually see someone coming down the stairs behind you. Oh, who is it? 
Oh, wait. They're not down the stairs. They're joining us remotely uh, via Hangouts. It's uh, Chris McCord, the creator of Phoenix, um, is joining us from... Um, where are you, Chris? Yeah, hi. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. Charlotte, North Carolina. Well, that's cool. Uh, this goes with a longstanding Elixir Talk tradition of no two of us ever being in the same place. That's true. But thanks for joining us. Uh, I think everyone who's listening to this probably knows who Chris is. And um, as we record this, the big news is that Phoenix Live View has just been released. Is it released officially or just up on GitHub? So it is, yeah, to be clear, it's only publicly available. Uh, we ah. haven't yet had an official release. Uh, so if you want to use it, you can depend on the master branch. But we're not quite ready to brand a hex release yet, uh, just because we want to iron out a few other things. Cool. So what's the uh, 15 second pitch for Phoenix Live View? Yeah, so Phoenix Live View. Uh, so the, the pitch that seems to resonate is uh, it's a way to build like rich interactive applications with server rendered HTML. So uh, there's no need to write JavaScript. So there's the 10 second pitch. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sold. <laughs> That's all it took. It was that last sentence in Desmond yeah. Tim. Long time <laughs> listeners know how I feel about JavaScript. But um, I mean, I think it's pretty cool. We were talking about it at work the other day, and the the commentary is, well, but some people like writing JavaScript, and isn't that cool? And uh, my attitude is, okay, sure, but you end up with a lot of duplicated code, and often server-side uh, solutions require a lot less code um, to implement than a language like JavaScript. Yeah, and and I've tried to be I've tried to be pretty fair on that point. Um, you know, I don't like to put other people's work down. Um, so I think you know when I talked about this at ElixirConf originally, um, you know, like I uh, for one upfront I say like JavaScript isn't going away. Like if you're writing um, different classes of web applications, there are certain certainly classes of applications that you have to write code on the client. So that's where I've been very clear upfront. Like this isn't um, to come rescue us all from JavaScript for all of our problems. But I do think that there are a large set of problems that this can uh, vastly simplify versus kind of going all in on a client-side uh, solution. Can you talk a bit more about that, Chris? Can you tell us a bit about uh, the kinds of problems that you think this is really well suited for? Yeah, so um, let me preface by saying um, our goal is to find kind of where this breaks down. So I don't know um, I know I'll, I'll go through some things that I know for sure it's good for today and we'll see how far we can go until, you know, we, we have a line where we can draw and say, you know what, you really have to be writing code on the client for this. But today I think, uh, any kind of, um, small bit of rich interaction that you want. So let's say you're building an application that has, um, some notification bar at the top that lets users know that they have a new message in the system. Um, any kind of like real-time dashboard, things that like people would kind of refer to as like widgets on a page, this would be uh, great for uh, kind of like push updates from the server. Um, things like uh, interactive forms is one example. So you can get like real-time validations as a user is uh, entering information on the form without having to hit submit. Uh, things like uh, progress, like file upload progress. If you upload an attachment or doing some uh, asynchronous work on the back end, you can be relaying that to the, the client and letting them know the progress of that. So I think there's a large class of kind of these interactive type applications that aren't like a full desktop like experience in the browser that this would be great for today. And we'll see like, you know, if we be like, can you build like an entire chat application with this? I, I think you could, I'm not sure how, um, 
far you can go before you're like, okay, this is actually a bit too, um, too much to try to pull off on the server. But I think we can go a lot further than people think, uh, even like through, like even to like interactive games, I think this could actually be a pretty interesting use case for, uh, like I have a snake game example that, um, is just server side rendered and you can make like a online multiplayer game with live view all server rendered and have that be a, a compelling experience. I mean, I think that's like, no, there aren't, there aren't a lot. What am I trying to say? There aren't a lot of applications that really are full rich desktop esque clients that I see. Um, most of the interactivity that I find on the web and what people would refer to as rich clients are just like you said, a dashboard that adds a live update, something that shows the latest Twitter tweet or, um, uh, upload progress bar. Yeah, exactly. And I think, um, I think like if, if most developers are actually honest with themselves and this is just from my reality is colored by my experience, but I've worked at, uh, um, two different consultancies for my entire professional programming career and, um, across dozens of different products and business domains. And, uh, I've never had a need to go full in single page app. Uh, even though a lot of projects I've worked on have gone full in single page app. So I think that there are absolutely use cases, whether you're building like Google maps or a, um, the office 365 in the browser, like there are certainly times where you're like, you have to be running a rich, um, programming language on the client. Uh, but I think for all the problems that I've worked through, uh, in the past, I can't name a single one that justified the complexity that a single page app, um, brought but that's me like i said that's just things i've worked on but coming in from a uh, a web background and granted this is a lot of rails applications i've worked on in, in a past life so i think part of our technology choices do color our uh ultimate solutions but uh, i think there's a, a middle ground here where most of us can get away with a lot more uh, server-side work than client-side we just right i i think i used to describe this to um a few of the the engineers I worked with and then some of our clients when I was in a consultancy is that like sprinkle of JavaScript that helps make the page more interactive, right? Like you might not need a full single page app, but you might have some things like search fields or something that, you know, like your example, pushing notifications into the browser and bringing up a panel. And there's all these little bits where you, you want more interactivity for it to feel like a true like application versus just a bunch of pages um, where you might not need that full single page kind of application framework. And this is a really good fit. Yeah. And it, it's hard to draw that line before, like that's it, in my ElixirConf talk, you know, I mentioned this, like we don't developers, I, we like shiny things, but developers aren't adopting these single page application frameworks because they like shiny things. It's like they have real business problems to solve and they need the rich experience on the client. So like the, these little bits of rich interaction normally require JavaScript, right? So uh, developers are buying into these solutions because they need to solve real problems. Um, but I think you, it's a slippery slope because you're saying, well, now that the, if we have to use React or Angular or Ember for our sign-in form or for this rich interaction, why don't we use it for everything? Mm-hmm. And that's where I think it goes, you go down the rabbit hole. So we're giving, we're giving another option to say you can kind of defer that and maybe replace that React component with just server-side rendering and not have to even pay any of that cost. What is an upgrade path from, let's say I start off with just live view, I have a couple of uh, clever components, whatever, 
And that gets me through a year or two. And then it builds up enough that we decide, okay, well, let's go all in on Ember, Reactor, View, or whatever. Am I then looking at tearing out a bunch of stuff and then rewriting it in JavaScript just for parity? Uh, potentially, but um, my my answer to this is that's the that's the scenario you want. So let's say even if you had to throw all of it away, uh, that's far better for me than going the other way and saying buying all in. For example, in my past experience, uh, uh, we did a lot of Angular one development, and all of those applications today. Well, I'm I'm not at that company anymore, but like. Imagine maintaining an Angular one application today. Uh, it'd be a fate, a fate worse than death uh, if you had if you <laughs> if you inherited that today. And I, I say that nicely. It's just uh, so imagine you had to go from that to um, rewriting it in some something else. Like imagine that complexity and piecing that out. Where if you were able to take Phoenix Live View, you're at least starting with simple Elixir code that works, right? And we know that as long as the VM runs on hardware, ten years from now, you will inherit. Elixir code that produces HTML. So I think, yes, if you if you needed to suddenly have requirements where, like, let's say your client said, I need uh, offline support. Well, obviously, we can't, Live View is not going to work for that. So then you said, well, we're, we're going to have to rewrite this with a single page app. To me, then that's actually a success story versus the other direction where you didn't need that complexity. And then you bought all in. And then three or four years later, now it's time to rewrite everything. So you're just big betting on uh, Yagni. Yeah, I mean, well, it's like I, I am, but it's also, you know, I guess, yeah, that's actually the best, the best way to put it, because if you can get away with if you can get everything you need without paying that complexity price, then why would you pay it is, I guess, like probably the least exciting way to say, uh, I guess, what any programming abstraction is, right? Live view, you probably don't need anything more, but you know what I mean? But that, that's actually a good way to put it. Like it goes... If you take any problem, why would you not take? Why would you not choose the solution that takes the least amount of effort and gives you everything you need? I mean, I'm I'm on board with that. I know people that you know fighting against future proofing is a constant battle. Um, it may be an easier sell to say, well, if you're trying to start a company or have a project or whatever, if you use the solution, you need fewer skill sets. You know, you don't have to hire as many people that maybe don't like working full stack that aren't quite so specialized. And so I think it does buy you a lot of uh, a lot more generalized runway. Yeah, absolutely. You can I think, you know, time to market is also a big thing that uh, that live you would would gain you. I mean, if you just think through the the standard tooling setup for a the modern JS ecosystem, um, you could spend weeks uh, amongst your team just trying to figure out the basis of your platform instead of shipping features. But for us like um it's like, it's amazing how much actually falls away. Um, and maybe this scares people, but like, if you imagine just like trying to put up a counter on a web page and having that counter update when you click a button, like if you imagine today, the amount of layers that you have to go through and decisions you have to make to make that work, even with like a modern client side framework, like that's everything, a lot of things are solved for you. Like you have to write the template, you have to then stand up the server, make like a JSON endpoint or GraphQL endpoint to receive the client data. You have to decide what the shape of that data looks like. You have to write the server code, decide what the shape of the response looks like. Like you have like all these like request response uh, lifecycle events. Um, but in live view, like you would just write an Elixir module and like all of that, just you shed all of that preparation. Totally. I, I do think, I mean, I, I'm curious about your opinion on this, Chris. Like, there's this movement towards more progressive web apps whereby like 
applications are getting richer in web browsers because the capabilities of the devices are getting more and more so where you can just run a crap ton of JavaScript in your browser and everything's fine. Um, and, you know, Live View is kind of at odds with, with that movement in some ways in that, you know, those apps are offline first and there's a ton of complexity in building them. I completely agree, but um, the web is also a platform where we can do things like that and also we're kind of moving in that direction. So I'm curious if you've experienced any of those kinds of apps and if that's something that um, you took into account with this kind of framework. Yeah, um, you know, at, at Dockyard, the whole PWA movement, um, we've kind of like, you know, we, we market specifically towards PWAs, you know, a, a large part of our business is building JavaScript applications. Uh, so this this is definitely, I, I understand what you're saying, like, this is actually at odds with um, some of our core competencies at Dockyard. What's a, sorry, what's a PWA? It's a progressive web app. So um, it maybe Chris would be a better job, do a better job of explaining that. But it's basically a, a way to, um, if you wanted to build um, native like applications, but uh, for the web. So like you'd have a mobile app that could um, do most of the things you would expect from a web application. Like, you know, if you've heard of like service workers and being able to kind of run this as like an app that can kind of bootstrap itself and ask the server if it has like updates and uh, as far as the, like, the application itself goes. Maybe cool. Chris can do a better job of explaining that. No, 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 that's great. It's uh, yeah, effectively a set of standards that help um, at, that you can work against to build these very rich feeling kind of applications that run in the in the web browser that feel more like a native app. Yeah, so in Dockyard, actually, I think we were mentioned at uh, Google I/O. Uh, we we wrote a we wrote a PWA called High Tide, which tells you uh, when the high tide and low tide is uh, for the uh, beaches nearby you. Um, and it's it's a PWA and um, it run it won like a design award. I think Google I/O had it on a slide. So it's definitely something that Dockyard is focused on. Um, but for me, so yeah, so to how can I distill this and do like a shorter answer? Uh, I think that's great. Uh, I'm I'm definitely betting on the web as far as like the future, uh, especially on mobile. I think we'll see a tri we'll see a similar shift from uh, native like we did on the desktop. Uh, but at the same time, I go back to like the classes of applications that people are building. Um, I think a lot of applications that we build don't need to be a PWA or need to be a native-like application. It's the same thing that you see on the desktop personally. Like if you take um, take any, not any, take a lot of the software that we use on the web today on the desktop and think about like it's uh, what the native counterpart would have been like um I'm going to use Basecamp because that just came to mind, but people are going to hound me probably because uh, anyway, they're going to say Basecamp's a dinosaur. But like, if you think of like Basecamp as an app, like the simplicity of that, like that wouldn't be what you end up would have created. It wouldn't be what you had on the desktop. So I think the the desktop native platform is an even simplified version of desktop. Um, so this is all to say, I think that there's still a large class of applications that could be server rendered, but there are absolutely a class of applications and probably a growing capabilities on the web that you have to be running code in the browser. And to me, that's great. And I think they can both coexist happily. I think you said something interesting, or at least alluded to it, which is that uh, the web sort of provides an interesting constraint against complexity. And I might be twisting what you heard, but if we say, okay, well, if we cannot do something uh, in this space, like how does it make us rethink our 
our solution? How does it make us rethink our user experience, our developer experience, whatever? How do we cut features? And on the one hand, it always seems like, oh, well, you're cutting features. Like, well, that that sucks. People want more features. On the other hand, I think that streamlining an experience often makes for a better experience overall, even if like one or two things don't make it in. It really forces you to think about what's the critical, what are the critical components of this application? What are the critical experiences that I need to get just right? Instead of like letting people be loosey goosey with, oh, just dump another thing in the sidebar, like use up all the RAM, whatever. And uh, yeah, so seen through that lens, this is like, yeah, if Live View is not as, uh, quote, powerful as React, maybe that's a good thing because it makes you focus more on what's what's critical here. Yeah, I think that could be a good way to frame it. Um, and it, it depends on what you're building, like in, in what we like, you know, we don't know, like the term web application is kind of like meaningless at this point, because especially with PWAs, like it can go from everything to, um, you know, like a brochure type website uh, to uh, something that is using your camera and telling you where, where the tide is near your house. Um, but like, if I, if I think about applications I use day to day, this is like one, this is one example. So, it, you know, N equals one, but like most recently, uh, I use like nextdoor.com. It's like a neighborhood social network. Uh, I'm just going to pick on them because they went from, um, server side rendered to, uh, some kind of single page app. I don't know what they're using. I haven't dug into it. I just know that like my experience on that website degraded, uh, vastly when they went SBA, um, and that kind of application is just mostly presenting data to you with a nice UI, right? And for me, like, there's no, I could be wrong, unless they, unless they vastly pivot, there's no PWA-like features that would benefit my life in a service like being able to, you know, buy a lawnmower for my neighbor more easily or see crime in the neighborhood, uh, so I think uh, in, in those certain cases, like there, there's a complexity and maybe this is what you meant, Desmond, like there's a there's a limiting factor there on complexity that like I don't think the domain itself would ever need anything more. Uh, but I can't really put a, a better description on it than that. Mm -hmm. hmm. No, I think that's fair. I think there's I, I, by the way, I completely agree with you. There's a whole classification of apps where it's completely unnecessary for it to be rendered purely in JavaScript and the complexities that come with that and the state management and, you know, it's like and, 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 and. And you see it in teams where now you need five JavaScript developers to maintain an app that should have been a lot simpler and probably could be simpler. But the status quo today is kind of pushing in the direction of saying that you need to build a single page app in order to ship a product. And that's probably not true. And I think having... A compelling alternative uh, like Live View is a really interesting angle here. And now I'm thinking, like, how do we evangelize this more and get more people like thinking about it and like viewing it as a viable alternative instead of going like full JavaScript from the get go? So uh, jumping off that um, and asking a similar question, like, who is the audience here? Is it Elixir developers who already don't want to write JavaScript? Is it trying to get other people? Or is it trying to get other people converted into this? Uh, it's both. I think this is actually going to be a, a big driver for people coming into the community uh, in general. So um, it's definitely resonated outside. I mean, already already seeing the reaction on Twitter from non-Elixir people. Uh, I think it's this has resonated. I think it's what a lot of people would like to be doing or imagine 
they would love to be doing on their platform, but uh, most platforms are not well suited to this kind of solution. So I think we're kind of specially suited in this case. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about what was like technically difficult or interesting about writing live view. Yeah, so uh, this is a good question because I think this will also help pique people's interest and maybe settle some doubt. Um, so the, the most interesting part of LiveView to me is the optimizations, and I can credit uh, Jose for um, almost all of the all the neat optimization side of things. Uh, so uh, Jose wrote a uh, EEX engine. So EEX is embedded Elixir. It's like Elixir's templating language. Um, so if you're writing uh, Phoenix. Uh, Anything Phoenix web related, you're used to writing EEX to render HTML. So he wrote a uh, engine uh, that we call Live EEX. So it looks just like your template you're used to writing, except it does change tracking. And to me, this is like our secret sauce and um, kind of the most compelling thing about LiveView. So what 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 it means is you can re-render. So it, the way LiveView works is kind of similar to React, uh, on the except on the server. So Anytime you change state in your uh, live view, we re-render that whole thing and send, and, and send the data down to the client to update. Um, but what we do for change tracking is we will actually only execute the Elixir code uh, for the data that changed. So even though you write the code as if your whole template re-renders, um, the only the bits of the template that actually will change are the, the Elixir code that executes. Hmm. And also the only data we put on the wire is the minimal amount of data that changed. Uh, and we don't even send down like any of the static parts. So there's a whole series of optimizations there where uh, you'll end up getting data on the wire that is equivalent to the most optimized handwritten JSON you could ever write, except it's happening seemingly uh, for free and, and by magic on, on the server side. So one example that I showed at the last talk I gave is like a autocomplete uh, or type ahead form where it's giving you suggestions. Um, on every key press, it's messaging the live view and that's rendering some new suggestions, which is pushing new HTML down to the, the client. But if you actually inspect the data on the wire, uh, it literally would return a list of strings to send uh, to show in the suggestion box below the input. Um, seemingly by magic right and that's just because we're doing change tracking where uh, we split the dot we split the template into like dynamic and static parts so like all mm -hmm. those html bits that never change the client gets a cache of that when they first connect so it just so happens the way we compute the diff you would only ever get a list of strings to populate the page even though like you never had to hand roll that yourself uh, so i think uh, there's a lot of arguments. I think people's initial impression is, oh, it's going to be way heavier. It's going to send way more bandwidth on uh, across the wire to push these updates. But I think that there's uh, a class of optimizations that are going to blow people's mind once they actually get in there and start playing with it. That's cool. So, like, do you store um, a copy of the template on the server and compute the diff there? Yeah. So the live EX engine, actually, a compile time will split the template into static and dynamic parts. So if you have, right. like, a a H1 tag and then an EEX variable and a closed H1 tag. Uh, we would at compile time we split all that and we say we know all of these static parts are static. They're all H1 is always going to be H1. So we'll build a data structure at compile time that just knows that all the assigns that you had and their combinations. And that way at runtime we'll pass in uh, the signs that have changed and we'll only ever 
Um, we'll only execute the Elixir code because like we compile in like if checks, like if we see that this is in our change map, execute that code and then interpolate it in the dynamic part. And then we'll send on the wire only the dynamic values that changed. And the client has a static cache and they just kind of zip that list together to produce the HTML. So are you tracking, are you holding the state in processes on the server? Yes. So it will cause more server memory usage versus a fire and forget approach. So that that is unavoidable. Are there concerns if we were operating in a clustered environment that the processes um, would live on the wrong node or that we would have to worry about like where to find this information? Yeah, so that's a good question and we solved it. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, so that's one reason. Um, yeah, so what happens is uh, when you request a page, it's just a normal HTML request and you get HTML. So SEO just works with Live View. Uh, but one of the caveats there is we don't spawn a process on the server until after the page is rendered on the browser. So like if you were watching your server logs and let's say you fetch something from a database, uh, you would see that happen twice to render a page and you'd say like, what the heck, why is, Live view like double executing, um, but what happens is we the browser reconnects to the server, the live view is remounted, the same code path gets fired, and then it's up and running statefully. Um, but what we what we gain there is we don't have this issue where if we spawn that process on the server on your original HTML request, you could potentially connect back over WebSockets later and be load balanced to a different node, and then you'd be sending all this network traffic across a cluster, which you definitely don't want. Mm -hmm. uh, so. That's not an issue. And since we multiplex on a single connection, all of your live view, like you can nest live views as much as you want and they'll all be guaranteed to be on the same node uh, for a given uh, WebSocket connection. So as long as you don't instantiate multiple live sockets on your JavaScript code, which I don't know why you ever would, they're always guaranteed to be on the same node. So like uh, an ETS cache would just work across your uh, parent child live views, for example, a lot of things uh, you get for free uh, from that model. Cool. So you store, so it's not that each template has its own, is backed by its own process. It's each connection has its process that maintains a state and inside of that are the different. Yeah, sorry. Each each template, so each live view module is its own process. Um, and a live view module renders a single template. So uh, you could have a, you could render another live view within your live view and then you would have two processes and it's a parent-child relationship. So if the parent dies, the children die. But if the child dies, it restarts itself and updates back in the parent. So you could have like uh, parts of your app crash, uh, but as long as only the child and its dependents crash. So like, mm -hmm. you know, if you're, I have a, a thermostat example in the last talk I gave where like I'm showing the weather on the thermostat and it's like if your weather uh, widget on your thermostat crashes, you don't want that to crash, you know, or stop you from being able to adjust the heat in your house. Uh, so I think there's a, there's a model there that we are, we get isolation in Elixir by default, and there's a model there that actually works extremely well for UIs. And I think, like you know, if you watch, if you look at Boyd's uh, scenic library for like bare metal uh, Elixir UIs, like mm -hmm. uh, it's the same argument. Like Elixir actually works extremely well for user interfaces because of this isolation model, and we can mm. take the benefit of that uh, with Live View. Mm -hmm. Cool. It's cool. Have you had any scaling concerns, Chris? Like running have, have you done any tests on how many uh different live view processes you can run simultaneously uh, i haven't yet i mean so i i'm not concerned in that i think people will be pleasantly surprised with how well this scales um 
but I don't have any any numbers. So I, I think you know memory obviously is going to be um, more expensive than like we have to store the state on the server, so it's going to use memory. But I think I think people will be able to go much further than they imagine. Like we like there's an example of uh, there's like a rainbow animation. Yeah. So if anyone's listening to this, don't use LiveView for animations. So I, I showed <laughs> like that rainbow animation in my talk, and it's on the examples repo. Uh, yeah. So a lot of the a lot of the people that are playing with it are doing animations, uh, which is like it's fine, like it's cool to see. But obviously, like you don't if you're running at 60 frames per second, like just write a CSS transform to do that. Um, but anyway, this is all to say that someone uh, was able to get like 10, 10 rainbows running on like a five dollar DigitalOcean droplet at 100 frames per second. Um, and I don't know what that equates to, but like that's like uh, so that's like thousand messages per second so a thousand renders per second being pushed down on a five dollar digital ocean droplet so like you know that's like encoding that to json i don't know so i think we'll get much we'll be able to scale much further than people think um and it's built on channels internally we were we were able to show we can do million you know two million channel connections on a single box so i am not concerned um on the order of like tens of thousands of users per server i think would be definitely doable. The bottleneck will probably be memory. Um, uh-huh. I think even CPU, depending on, as long as you're not doing animations, mm-hmm. shouldn't be too, too stressed. I mean, I, it seems like today, uh, memory bottleneck is pretty easy to solve. You just like get the larger box and then, you know, you can get a ton of memory for, I mean, it's more than I would want to pay, but if you have a business that has tens of thousands of concurrent users, then presumably you can spend, couple thousand a month on yeah and i and i I think it's going to scale well enough that like it will still from the vast majority of people and again this is just like my hunch i think it will essentially be a non-issue it's kind of like uh like the outline.com is like a a news website uh they run on phoenix and they uh they have talked about like they just start a phoenix channel per visitor just like on the homepage, and they don't think about it and uh, they don't have like you know some massive infrastructure to support it. It's just like it's cheap enough that they just use the feature set, and it's not like this big question or debate or like let's have a meeting to see if we can do this. It's like they just pushed it out and it's working well. And they don't even think about it. It's just for fun. Yep. So we'll <laughs> see. I mean, so if someone has a uh, a high high traffic website and they want to throw this on the homepage, like uh, let's do it. I think we'll. We'll get some compelling results out of it. It'll be a race. This uh, library was um, put into, I forget what this phrase used. It wasn't released. It was uh, shown to the public a couple of days ago. Who's the first person that can put a high, put this into a high traffic site? Yeah, <laughs> it's public. Uh, yeah, so the there's no guarantees on API um, stability for quite a while, but um, it is being used in production. I mean, not at high scale. I think... Uh, it's at uh, a distillery right now. Uh, so Justin Schneck actually has it. Uh, he he has a distillery that he built with uh, nerves uh, for a company, and uh, they're running live view to monitor the temperatures of the different. Uh, uh, I forget. I don't know how how distilleries work, but there are two things that are critical <laughs> temperature wise, and the the customer had to have like inst- you know real time access to those temperatures. So uh-huh. so we wrote like you know ten lines of. HTML and a thing that pulls the the nerves devices. So it was like, it's cool. Perfect fit for that. 
what what else have you seen that's been cool so far obviously there's been like a flurry of twitter activity so far so what have you seen yeah so people have written some um some cool stuff already like uh, someone wrote like some market simulator i never heard of it but there was like a you could like it's like real-time bidding uh, thing I, they ported it from something else but it it looked pretty neat, like uh, being able to buy and sell items uh, in real time. Uh, there was uh, one thing that was really cool is someone, I just merged the PR. They they wanted to show how easy it was to like just push updates to the browser. So like uh, if you're familiar with like the top command on any mm-hmm. Unix, like it's just like a 10 line view, a live view module that just pipes yeah. the updates to top down to the browser. Yeah, that's um, cool. So that was cool. I mean, just like super simple stuff that you're like, oh, wow, like that is a compelling example. And I didn't even think of that. Uh, so that was neat. I'm trying to think I should just go through my my Twitter history. But those were a couple of neat ones. Uh, someone did like a, a uh, tabular like edit of records. So kind of like a, you know, a spreadsheet, <laughs> editable spreadsheet. Uh, so it's been fun watching kind of the examples come through and people getting excited about it. Nice. I think uh, I think I need to ask you a bit more about Phoenix as well. And to, like, what, what's your plans for the future? I'm sure you get this all the time, but um, you know, it, it was quite a long time ago that Phoenix one three came out, and then one four was some nice updates. But um, it doesn't feel like the frequency of Phoenix updates has been that great. But I, also, by the way, I think that's a really good thing. <laughs> I think that. Like having such a stable platform, like we we run Phoenix here at Frame, and it's powering basically everything we do. We've had Phoenix has never been the problem there, you know. But um, I'm just really curious to hear about like what your thoughts are for the future and uh, extending live view and and going on from that. Yeah, it's a good question. So yeah, I, I said like as of one three, like all the interesting things in Phoenix are going to happen outside of core. So yeah. like that was like, you know, Phoenix presence was one that was before one three, but I guess since one Phoenix one, two, uh, I said that. So like Phoenix presence is one and then live view now. It's like, I think we've got the, like Phoenix core gives us everything we need to build on top of. So I don't like at the moment, I have no big Phoenix specific features planned in Phoenix core. Uh, the only thing that like Phoenix one five will have would be like a telemetry integration. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, the only next big item uh, as far as like that would warrant a minor version bump. Um, and then on top of that, so once that's in place, the next big thing, it wouldn't be in Phoenix core, but it would be like a Phoenix telemetry package. So like we get telemetry and telemetry is like a metrics tracking library for, for all beam languages. And the goal would be get the metrics in Phoenix to replace the Phoenix instrumentation with telemetry. And then we can write a Phoenix telemetry project where, probably powered by live view where you could get, you could surface all this interesting information from Phoenix, from Ecto, from the VM out of telemetry and, and give people insight into their system. That's so cool without using something else like Prometheus or whatever. Just like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And you could, yeah. and, and, uh, you could do like a, uh, a, a Prometheus backend to telemetry, right, right, um, right. but like out of the box, my goal is, um, you know, non-experts have this information and then you can grow that into Prometheus or, all the, you know, uh, stats D there's a, you, you would just, it's a, it's behavior driven. So you could write, you could pretty much export this to whatever you need. Um, so that's kind of like the near future roadmap. Uh, but outside of that, again, like the telemetry integration isn't going to break a bunch of APIs. It's just a, a minor version bump with some new features. 
Um, but then, yeah, core will just maintain, you know, be as it is until we have a reason to change it. So the cool stuff that happened outside of it and, and we'll see, I mean, live view was one of those things I've wanted to do for, for years. Um, and the, it's funny, a couple of people on the Phoenix team tried to talk me out of it. They didn't think it was a great <laughs> idea. Um, and now they, now they see their, that they were wrong. Um, but yeah, so I'm not sure. Like if you would ask me a year ago outside of, um, the metric Phoenix telemetry stuff, you know, what I had on my radar, um, before I started the live view stuff, I would have said like, oh, I'm not sure, but I feel like that's how it's kind of always been like the same with presence. Um, before I did presence, it, I felt like core was pretty much done. Wasn't sure. You know, I didn't know I was going to focus on next is like a big thing. And then there's always, you know, always something to do. So, um, I'll let you know when, when we run out of things to work on, but so far there's been plenty, plenty to do. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. And how, like, how has it been working on a project for so long and seeing it evolve and seeing all these people use it now? How does it feel? Uh, it's uh, great. I mean, for me, like, I like building things. Um, so, so like, b- building something that allows other people to build things is like a, a meta version of like what gives me joy in life. So, um, so it's actually really cool to see people building things with something that I built. I think that's the most enjoyable part. I guess like making a positive impact on or contributing positively to, to society in some way. Um, like, I, I don't know, the whole altruistic side of open source definitely kind of, you know, enriches my life and is a, really the, the main reason I do it. So, uh, yeah, it's been really neat seeing everything grow and the community um, get bigger. Cool. Dope, man. Well, this has been a wonderful, uh, wonderful conversation. Glad to finally have you on the show. And it's such a, uh, a uh, what's the word? It's not fortunate, portentous. Uh, such a such a great great time. Um, fortuitous. Fortuitous. It's more than just fortunate. It's well, whatever. <laughs> we'll edit this part out. <laughs> it's good timing all around that we got you on the show. Great timing. When we did, yes. So yeah. Um, but Chris, it's been really awesome to have you on the show, and uh, yeah, I guess this has been quite a long time coming. Um, but where can people see you next? Are you going to be at any conferences or events or anything? Yeah, I'll be in Prague, LuxConf EU, uh, the April 8th, I think, or the conference is April 9th and 10th, something like that. Um, so I'll be there, and then I'll be in uh, LuxConf in Denver in the fall. So definitely come to either of those or both if you're able to make it out. I didn't hear you say MPEX NYC, so... MPEX is also uh, great. Uh, actually, no, so I think a couple of uh, dockyarders are actually headed there. And oh, awesome. uh, I would love to make it out at some point. I've heard... I've actually... I, this isn't just me pandering. Uh, I've actually heard it's, like, it's super great, uh, like, atmosphere-wise. Like, it's, you know, I think Old, Old Jazz Club, right, is where you guys, you host it, so... I've definitely heard it's, um, you know, a bit of a different experience in, in a great way compared to a normal conference. So I'd love to make it out sometime. Going to put that quote on the website. So thanks for that. <laughs> no <Yes>. problem. <laughs> well, now that we've gotten what we wanted out of this podcast, <laughs> yeah. uh, we'll, we'll just wrap this up. Uh, I want to say thanks one more time to Chris McCord for joining us and uh, for all the work you've done in Live View. Thanks very much, Chris, on behalf of everyone in the community. Thanks for having me. And uh, Chris Pell, do you want to give your, your outro? Oh, yeah. So uh, if you like this episode or any of our other episodes of Elixir Talk, you can rate us wherever you get your podcasts. So we would massively appreciate that. 
Um, if you have any feedback as well, um, you can get in touch with us at Elixir Talk on Twitter, or you can hit us up on our website, which is elixirtalk.com, and you can listen to past episodes there as well. So there you go. Cool. Well, unless anyone has any other questions or comments. No questions or comments at this time. Then uh, I think we can all wrap this up. Yeah, no, I'm going to say the thing. Oh, he's going to say the thing. Yeah. Ready? Yeah. Keep Keep (laughs) elixiring. There we go. Nailed it.